You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. eating away at him like a cancer, the guilt. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, his sin was always before him. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. You know, God was trying to get him to that place to repent of his sin so that he could restore him. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And so that's the effect that sin and guilt has upon a person's life. That constant unsettledness plagued within. David, though known as a man after God's own heart, made mistakes. In today's message, Pastor Mike will tell the story of when David royally messed up. And rather than admit he had done wrong, he lied and tried to cover up his sin. But as you continue to listen, you'll learn that God reached him. God found David in the midst of his mess, and David repented and God forgave instantly. Maybe you're in a place like David. Seek God and repent. He'll be faithful to meet you in your mess, too. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11, as he begins his message, The Forgiving God. G. Campbell Morgan said, as it relates to this section in the book of 2 Samuel, in the whole of the Old Testament, there's no chapters more uh, tragic or full of solemn and searching warnings as this one. I agree. So there's some wonderful lessons for us to learn here as we go through these two chapters. Let's begin by reading 2 Samuel chapter 12 in verse 13, and then we'll go back to chapter 11. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, in verse 13, and this is where we want to begin. So David said to Nathan, Nathan, by the way, at this time was a prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. This is David speaking. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. By the way, this message, the title is The Forgiving God. Okay, so this particular portion of scripture is probably... Uh, more familiar to many of you, verse 13, chapter 12, verse 13, the opening uh, verse that we just read, David's confession of sin, folks, was a true confession. He did indeed sin against the Lord. Okay, so with that said, let me set up uh, this Bible study for you. Let me set the stage for you where David confessed his sin. The time had come for David to go out to battle against the Ammonites, But instead of the king going, he sent his captain, Joab. And David remained in the capital city of uh, Jerusalem. 
And so, you know, uh, during the winter months, it was during the springtime where uh, the nations would go out to war against one another. Because the winter months in the Middle East, it would also be during the rainy season. It would be cold. It would be hard to travel. And so that's the reason why there was a certain period of time throughout the year that was designated for the different nations to go out to war against one another. But notice here, rather than David accompanying his military, he sends his captain Job to go out in his place. And therein begins the problem for uh, David. Notice there, let's go back to chapter 11 and verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. And I want to encourage you to maybe just underline those words, David stayed or remained at Jerusalem. In other words, David should have been with his men on the front lines fighting this battle, but instead he remained in the capital city of Jerusalem. You know, it's been, and you've heard this expression used before, idleness is the devil's workshop. And also you've probably heard the saying, it's harder to hit a moving target. But David wasn't present during this uh, battle, which led to the problem that we're about to read about. You know, one of the great cure-alls Uh, for falling into uh, sin and to temptation is just simply to be busy for the Lord. Because, again, the devil has a hard time hitting a moving target. But in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, in verse 58, and this is the great cure-all for idleness, it says, Therefore, my beloved, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So you know what? I think it would serve us well to always be involved in Christian service, serving the Lord, working for the Lord, doing those things that further the kingdom of the Lord. And this way you won't give yourself to idleness and then be a target for uh, the devil. Now, one day, as we will see, while David was taking a stroll upon the roof of his house. He should have been in the front lines with his men. Uh, He's on the roof of his house there in the palace. And off in the distance, he discovered a beautiful young girl whose name was Bathsheba. She was naked, and she's bathing on the roof of her house. And obviously, David was taken by her. Uh, He was infatuated. And so David sent his servants over to invite her to his palace where he seduced her. Okay, so with that said, let's pick up now in chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So she got his attention. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from the impurity, and she returned to her house. You know, something that I think a lot of preachers are negligent in when they share this particular story of David falling into sin with this woman Bathsheba, because, you know, David receives all of the blame. He gets all of the heat. And, uh, you know, here's my question. What in the world was Bathsheba doing on the roof of her house, bathing naked. 
So I don't think that we can fault you know, David entirely uh, for his falling into this temptation and sin. Well, anyway, according to our text, David sent his servants over to invite her to his palace where he seduced her. Well, in time, he received word that she had become pregnant. And so David tried to hide his sin by cleverly putting a plan into action. So how did he go about uh, cleverly trying to hide his sin? Let's pick up now in the story, verses 6 through 17. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. Now Uriah, of course, as I've already mentioned, is Bathsheba's husband, who's engaged in this battle against the Ammonites at this time. And Joab sent Uriah to David. So he comes back from the front lines. When Uriah had come to him, this is all a part of his plan, all a part of his plot to cover his sins, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was prospered. And David said to Uriah, Listen, why don't you go down to your house, wash your feet? So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. So David supposed that he would go back to his house, he would spend some time with his wife, they would you know, have intercourse, and again, that the unsuspected pregnancy, they would think that it was actually Uriah that had impregnated her. And so in verse 9, though, but Uriah, rather than going back down to his home and sleeping with his wife, slept at the door of the king's house or palace with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Okay, so that plan failed on David's part. So when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark, that is the ark of the covenant, and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields fighting this battle. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? Notice how noble Uriah is. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So the plot continues. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today, also, and tomorrow. I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. So this, again, was a part of uh, David's plan, covering his sin. He got him all liquored up. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So the second part of the plan didn't work either. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. And so it was, while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Okay, so let's back up now. Let me explain it in more detail. Okay, so David first sent a message to his general Joab and requested that her husband Uriah be sent home from the battle so he could learn how the battle was going. After Uriah shared the details, David suggested, why don't you go home and spend the night with your wife? And we'll visit again in the morning. 
But notice, according to our text, he wouldn't do that. He spent the night on the porch of David's palace. Notice, according to what is recorded there for us in verse 11. So, that didn't work. So David, seeking to hide his guilt and sin, just compounded his situation. The second night, David endeavored to get Uriah drunk. He figured uh, he would get, as I mentioned before, liquored up, go down to his wife, Bathsheba. He wouldn't remember anything the night that he just had uh, spent. It would just be a big slur. But he spent, notice again, the second night on the porch of the palace. It was then that David had to take the next step. Oh, the progression of sin, the effect of sin. On David's part, it went from bad to worse. Initially, just simply trying to cover his sin, ultimately ended in the killing of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And so David was guilty of this sin. This is a very grievous and serious sin. Then anyway, after news was brought to David of Uriah's death, as we are about to discover, David sought to come off as some noble and compassionate individual by agreeing to marry a poor, pregnant woman, one of the wives of his fallen men, Bathsheba. He wanted people to say, David is so noble, he took in this poor widow. What a guy. But really, this was only an attempt for David to try to cover his sin. Now, let's talk about man's attempt to cover their sin. And this is something that I think is practiced universally, and for most people, it's just accepted. Its first demonstration took place in the Garden of Eden, when Adam disobeyed the commandment of God. And remember, when God was searching for Adam and Eve there in the garden, and actually they appeared before him, they sewed fig leaves together to hide their uh, nakedness, that is, their uh, sin. And they sought to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord there in the garden. And so this is common for people to cover their guilt. And more times than not, when we're guilty of some kind of a sin, some atrocity, something that we've done, we make an attempt as best we can to cover our sin because of our guilt. When God finally confronted Adam about his sin, Adam blamed God. And uh, rather than taking the blame upon himself, Adam said, it's your fault, God. It's the woman that you gave me. And by the way, this is the first passing of the buck in the history of mankind. And then Eve said, when confronted by God, it was the serpent. It was the serpent's fault because he beguiled me to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So both Adam and Eve, our first parents, right, tried to cover and hide their sin, their guilt. This, again, is something that's universally practiced by uh, most people because no one wants to confess their sin. No one wants to uh, say those words, which they think is probably the hardest, I'm guilty and I've sinned. They would rather try to cover their sin and to seek to fool people. Now, we try to cover our sin in a variety of different uh, ways most of which is just simply by lying. And this happens very early on in the life of a, a child. So this is something that is innate within each and every one of us. In the book of Psalms, in the 58th chapter, in verse 3, there the psalmist declares, 
I came forth from my mother's womb speaking lies. So this isn't something that you have to teach a child to do. It's just innately within each and every uh, one of us. You don't have to teach your children to lie. It just naturally takes place. Like, for example, you're in the living room, and your child is in the kitchen, and he's gotten himself into the cookie jar. And so he comes into the living room where you and your spouse is, and you ask the child, did you eat the cookies from the cookie jar? And of course, they'll say, oh, no. The giveaway is, is that they got chocolate all over their faces, right? And, uh, but nevertheless, oh, no, mom and dad, I didn't eat of the, of the cookies. I didn't take them out of the uh, cookie jar. So you don't have to teach your children to lie. It just naturally takes place. So anyway, trying to cover our sins by a lying. But there's a problem in this. In the book of Proverbs, the book of Wisdom, in chapter 28, and verse 13, Solomon tells us there, whoever seeks to cover his sin shall not prosper. And why is that? Because if we don't confess our sin, we're not going to receive the forgiveness from God. And that prevents God from doing the best for us. Because sin separates us from God. It's always the sin issue. We need to deal with sin. We need to get rid of our sin for God to continue to do uh, the best for us. So this is so very true. In the book of Proverbs, the 28th chapter, verse 13, whoever seeks to cover his sin shall not prosper. Why? Because there's simply no forgiveness. You know, it's also interesting to me how that man seeks to justify his sin and to develop some kind of rationale for the reason why they did what they did. For example, someone falls into adultery, and they get busted. And so what's their explanation? Well, my wife doesn't pay enough attention to me any longer. Or I've become a victim of flattery. Like, say, for example, at your places of employment, you know, that cute little girl in your office has been paying you certain compliments, and it's gone to your head, and the next thing you know, you're involved in a wrong kind of a relationship with that person. And you explain, well, those are the reasons why I fell into sin. Maybe you got busted, and now you're standing before your wife, or maybe you're standing before your husband. This works two ways, for men and women. You're trying to justify uh, the choices, the wrong choices that you've made in falling into sin. My wife, my husband, doesn't pay enough attention to me any longer, or I've become a victim of flattery. So the rationale of why we did the things that we did. You see, it's hard to deal with guilt, so you have to develop some kind of an excuse. I punched him out. He had it coming. He used to push around my sister, right? All kinds of explanations, all kinds of excuses for the reasons why you did what you uh, did. But let me tell you something. It doesn't work because guilt will eat away at you. It's like a cancer. In the 32nd Psalm, in the 32nd Psalm, in verses 3 and 4, let's read it. And by the way, this was written out of David's experience, falling into the sin, you know, trying to hide his guilt in falling into adultery with this woman Bathsheba. This was written, this particular Psalm was written out of that experience. He said, when I kept silence, in other words, when he didn't confess his sin, and he was trying to hide uh, his sin, uh, his guilt, my bones grew old. These were the things that was taking place within him. It was eating away at him like a cancer, the guilt. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, his sin was always before him. 
for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You know, God was trying to get him to that place to repent of his sin so that he could restore him. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And so that's the effect that sin and guilt has upon a person's life. That constant unsettledness plagued within David. There's no rest. There's no peace. As the Bible tells us, there's no peace for the wicked. There's just that guilt that we have to continue to deal with. David goes on to declare that God's heavy hand was upon him. That conviction. He was dried up inside. Spiritually, he was dead. He knew he was guilty. You know, it's also interesting to me that many times as a criminal is caught, let's say uh, he's practiced some crime time and time again, he's on the run, the law is looking for him, but when he's finally caught, there seems to be a great release. And many of those people who are on the run after uh, getting caught express themselves in this way. I'm glad because I'm tired of running. Listen, David knew that what he had done was absolutely wrong. It was gnawing away at him. Now, let's go back to our text. When Nathan, the prophet who we were first introduced to in that first verse that we read there from chapter 12, when Nathan comes upon uh, the scene, his friend came to him, he shared with David a story. And it has to do with this experience of David falling into this uh, sin. Let's pick up now in chapter 12, and let's read verses 1 through uh, 12. When the Lord sent Nathan to David, notice the Lord sent Nathan to David, and I don't know exactly how this whole thing worked out. Did God speak audibly to Nathan the prophet? I don't, you know, we're not given the details, but I find this curious, interesting, worth mentioning. Because again, you know, and this is the faithfulness of God. You know, trying to bring us to that place of repentance so that he can restore us, so that he can relieve us of that guilt, so that he can continue to do the work that he wants to do within each and every one of us. God is so faithful to do that. And, uh, you know, we get all embarrassed. We've gotten busted from our sin. You know, it's a good thing. That is, if we respond to it in the correct way. Well, anyway, then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, there were two men, this is the story, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Listen, this guy is the ultimate pet lover, right? I mean, think about it. And you know, if you have pets, you could probably relate to this. Your pet is like one of the members of your family, right? Well, anyway, in verse 4, he continues this story. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man, that is a meal, who had come to him. But rather, he went to his next door neighbor He took the poor man's lamb, the one ewe lamb, and prepared it for the man who had come to him. In other words, he stole from him, his neighbor. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. In the book of 2 Samuel, the king God anointed is finally on the throne. King David, the man after God's heart, is in the place God planned for him. 
yet David is still human. And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, you'll see that fact time and time again. David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken. This same God is merciful to you, too. And his forgiveness is just as real when you come to him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House.